Chapter Forty Six of The Secret Service by Albert Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter Forty Six. If I have wit enough to get out of this wood, I have enough to serve mine own turn. Midsummer Night's Dream. Dan Ellis, the Union Guide. For many months before leaving prison, we had been familiar with the name of Dan Ellis, a famous Union Guide, who, since the beginning of the war, had done nothing but conduct loyal men to our lines. Ellis is a hero, and his life a romance. He had taken through, in all, more than four thousand persons. He had probably seen more adventure in fights and races with the rebels, in long journeys, sometimes barefooted and through the snow, or swimming rivers full of floating ice, than any other person living. He never lost but one man, who was swooped up through his own heedlessness. The party had traveled eight or ten days, living upon nothing but parched corn. Dan insisted that a man could walk twenty-five miles a day through snow upon parched corn, just as well as upon any other diet, if he only thought so. I feel bound to say that I have tried it, and do not think so. This person held the same opinion. He revolted against the parched corn diet, vowing that he would go to the first house and get an honest meal, if he was captured for it. He went to the first house, obtained the meal, and was captured. After we had traveled fifty miles, everybody said to us, If you can only find Dan Ellis, and do just as he tells you, you will be certain to get through. In Good Hands at Last We did find Dan Ellis. On this Sunday night, one hundred and thirty-four miles from our lines, greatly broken down, we reached a point on the road, waited for two hours, when along came Dan Ellis, with a party of seventy men, refugees, rebel deserters, Union soldiers returning from their homes within the enemy's lines, and escaping prisoners. About thirty of them were mounted, and twenty armed. Like most men of action, Dan was a man of few words. When our story had been told him, he said to his comrades, Boys, here are some gentlemen who have escaped from Salisbury, and are almost dead from the journey. They are our people. They have suffered in our cause. They are going to their homes in our lines. We can't ride and let these men walk. Get down off your horses and help them up. Down they came, and up we went and then we pressed along at a terrible pace. In low conversation, as we rode through the darkness, I learned from Dan and his companions something of his strange, eventful history. At the outbreak of the war, he was a mechanic in East Tennessee. After once going through the mountains to the Union lines, he displayed rare capacity for woodcraft, and such vigilance, energy, and wisdom that he fell naturally into the pursuit of a pilot. 
six or eight of his men who had been with him from the beginning were almost equally familiar with the routes they lived near him in carter county tennessee in open defiance of the rebels when at home they usually slept in the woods and never parted from their arms for a single moment as the rebels would show them no mercy they could not afford to be captured for three years there had been a standing offer of five thousand dollars for dan ellis's head during that period except when within our lines he had never permitted his henry rifle which would fire sixteen times without reloading to go beyond the reach of his hand an unequal battle ellis's bravery once when none of his comrades except lieutenant treadaway were with him fourteen of the rebels came suddenly upon them ellis and treadaway dropped behind logs and began to fire their rifles as the enemy pressed them they fell slowly back into a forest continuing to shoot from behind trees the unequal skirmish lasted three hours several rebels were wounded and at last they retreated leaving the two determined unionists unharmed and masters of the field dan usually made the trip to our lines once in three or four weeks leading through from forty to five hundred persons before starting he and his comrades would make a raid upon the rebels in some neighboring county take from them all the good horses they could find and after reaching knoxville sell them to the united states quartermaster thus they obtained a livelihood though nothing more the refugees and escaping prisoners were usually penniless and ellis whose sympathies flowed toward all loyal men like water was compelled to feed them during the entire journey he always remunerated union citizens for provisions purchased from them tonight was so cold that our sore lame joints would hardly support us upon our horses dan's rapid marching was the chief secret of his success he seemed determined to keep at least one day ahead of all rebel pursuers now that we were safe in his hands i accompanied the party mechanically with no further questions or anxiety about routes but i chanced to hear treadaway ask him don't you suppose the nolchucky is too high for us to ford very likely replied dan we will stop and inquire of barnett upon the mule which i rode a sack of corn served for a saddle i was not accomplished in the peculiar gymnastics required to sit easily upon it and keep it in place lost a perilous blunder thirsty and feverish i stopped at the crossing of rock creek for a draught of water and to adjust the corn sack attempting to remount i was as stiff and awkward as in an octogenarian and my restive mule would not stand for a moment i finally succeeded in climbing upon his back two or three minutes after the last horseman disappeared up the bank we had been traveling across forests over hills through swamps without regard to thoroughfares but i rode carelessly on supposing that my mule's instinct would keep him on the fresh scent of the cavalcade 
when we had jogged along for ten minutes, awakening from a little reverie, I listened vainly to hear the footfalls of the horses. All was silent. I dismounted and examined the half-frozen road, but no hoof-marks could be seen upon it. I was lost. It might mean recapture. It might mean re-imprisonment and death, for the terms were nearly synonymous. I was ignorant about the roads, and whether I was in a Union or Rebel settlement. To search for that noiseless, stealthy party would be useless, so I rode back to the creek, tied my mule to a laurel in the dense thicket, and sat down upon a log, pondering on my stupid heedlessness, which seemed likely to meet its just reward. I remembered that Davis owed his original capture to a mule, and wondered if the same cause was about to produce for me a like result. Mentally anathematizing my long-eared brute, I gave him a part of the corn, and threw myself down behind a log, directly beside the road. This would enable me to hear the horse's feet of any one who might return for me. In a few minutes I was sound asleep. When awakened by the cold, my watch told me that it was three o'clock. Running to and fro in the thicket, until my blood was warmed, I resumed my position behind the log, and slept until daylight was gleaming through the forest. A MOST FORTUNATE ENCOUNTER Walking back to the creek, I reconnoitred a log dwelling, so small and humble that its occupant was probably loyal. In a few minutes, through the early dawn, an old man, with a sack of corn upon his shoulder, came out of the house. He evinced no surprise at seeing me. Looking earnestly into his eyes, I asked him, Are you a Union man, or a secessionist? He replied, I don't know who you are, but I am a Union man, and always have been. I am a stranger and in trouble. I charge you to tell me the truth. I do tell you the truth, and I have two sons in the United States Army. His manner appeared sincere, and he carried a letter of recommendation in his open, honest face. I told him my awkward predicament. He reassured me at once. I know Dan Ellis as well as my own brother. No truer man ever lived. What route was he going to take? I heard him say something about Barnett's. That is a ford only five miles from here. Barnett is one of the right sort of people. This road will take you to his house. Goodbye, my friend, and don't get separated from your party again. Rejoining Dan and his party I certainly did not need the last injunction. Reaching the ford, Barnett told me that our party had spent several hours in crossing and was encamped three miles ahead. He took me over the river in his canoe, my mule swimming behind. Half a mile down the road, I met Ellis and Treadaway. Aha, said Dan, we were looking for you. I told the boys not to be uneasy. There are men in our crowd who would have blundered upon some rebel, told all about us, and so alarmed the country, and brought out the home guards. But I knew you were discreet enough to take care of yourself, and not endanger us. Let us breakfast at this Union House. 23. Monday, January 9. Today, said Dan Ellis, 
you must cross the big butte of rich mountain how far is it i asked it is generally called ten miles but i suspect it is about fifteen and a rather hard road at that about fifteen and a rather hard road it seemed fifty and a very via dolorosa we started at eleven a m for three miles we followed a winding creek the horsemen on a slow trot crossing the stream a dozen times the footmen keeping up as best they could and shivering from their frequent baths in the icy waters a terrible mountain march we turned up the sharp side of a snowy mountain for hours and hours we toiled along up one rocky pine-covered hill down a little declivity then up another hill and down again but constantly gaining in height the snow was ten inches deep dan averred he had never crossed the mountain when the travel was so hard but he pushed on as if death were behind and heaven before the rarity of the air at that elevation increased my pneumonic difficulty and rendered my breath very short ellis furnished me with a horse the greater part of the way but the hills too steep for riding compelled us to climb our poor animals following behind the pithy proverb that it is easy to walk when one leads a horse by the bridle was hardly true in my case for it seemed a hundred times to-day as if i could not possibly take another step but must fall out by the roadside and let the company go on but after my impressive lesson of last night i was hardly likely to halt so long as any locomotive power remained our men and animals in single file extended for more than a mile in a weary torturous procession which dragged its slow length along after hours which appeared interminable and efforts which seemed impossible we halted upon a high ridge brushed the snow from the rocks and sat down to a cold lunch beside a clear bright spring which gushed vigorously from the ground i ventured to ask are we near the top about halfway up was dan's discouraging reply come come boys we must pull out urged davis and following that irrepressible invalid we moved forward again as we climbed hill after hill thinking we had nearly reached the summit beyond us would still rise another mountain a little higher than the one we stood upon they seemed to stretch out to the crack of doom a storm increases the discomforts to increase the discomfort a violent rain came on the very memory of this day is wearisome i pause thankful to end only a chapter in the midst of an experience which judged by my own feelings appeared likely to end life itself end of chapter 46 recording by greg giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida.